Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for being here. A little later in the show, we're going to talk with some folks from Grand Rapids about income inequality. A recent study says Grand Rapids and not Detroit has the widest gap between the haves and the have-nots. We'll talk about what's happening in that city with development and new people moving in and things like that. Uh, side of the state we don't often get to here on Detroit Today. But up first, over the past few years, there's been a lot of conversation around the best ways police departments can be effective in the communities they serve. The idea of so-called community policing seems to have generally replaced a broken windows style of policing, which targeted smaller and nonviolent crimes with the theory that it would prevent bigger crimes from ever happening. But now we're hearing a lot more discussion about how police officers can better work with communities, walking neighborhoods, getting to know residents. Is this the style of policing that is most effective? And how has it worked here in Detroit under James Craig, the chief of police. Craig started his career as an officer here in Detroit nearly 40 years ago before spending a couple decades with the LAPD and then moving to Cincinnati. Now that he's been back in Detroit for a couple of years, how have things changed for our city and what's different with the department since he's been here? I'm pleased to welcome to the studio Detroit Police Chief James Craig. Thank chief, you, Steve. I'm glad to, to be you. here once again. Yeah. Uh, and if you have a, call, a question for the chief, want to ask about crime in the city, about the things that are going on, feel free to call 313-577-1019. It's 313-577-1019. The chief will be with us for about half the show today. So uh, get your questions in line here. Uh, chief, I want to start with uh, the news. Uh, yesterday down at uh, the city county, I still call it the city county building. It's the Coleman Young uh, center. <laughs> <laughs> That's so just, I'm showing my age. Also known as K-Mac. <laughs> also known as K-Mac, right? right. Uh, we had somebody get into the building yesterday, allegedly at least, with a gun, a pistol in his in his bag. Uh, the, the building, of course, was evacuated and there was sort of a lockdown and a search for this for this individual, but I think a lot of people, uh, or at least a lot of people I talked to, were asking how how does this happen? How does security work at KMAC, and what role does uh, the DPD play? I know a lot of questions have been thrown at you about this incident, so I'll give you a chance uh, up front to address it. Well, you know, there was certainly a failure, uh, undoubtedly a failure. Uh, the way it's set up at KMAC or at the Coleman Young Center is that there's a private security firm that actually staffs or at the checkpoints. As you enter into the building, uh, there's certainly machines to, you know, evaluate what you're bringing in, x-ray machines. That's staffed by civilian security guards. Uh, Securitas is the firm that the building authority that manages uh, that center, as does our police headquarters. They staff it, but the security at uh, that location is augmented by sworn uniformed Detroit police officers as well as Wayne County sheriffs. As you know, half the building is the courts, the county. Yeah. Uh, the sheriffs provide law enforcement on that side of the building, Detroit police on the city side. And so that's the issue. Uh, one of the failures certainly is communication, timely communication, uh, one would ask, well, how do you get a gun in a building? Uh, you think of the airport, a checkpoint, and, you know, certainly if someone's bringing in an, a prohibited item, yeah, then that person is not allowed to go into the airport. Right, right. Uh, this person brings a prohibited item in, 
and gets to go into the building, and that's what created uh, the situation. Total disruption of city and county services yesterday in that building. Um, brother erred on the, side, uh, on the side of caution uh, because we didn't know what the circumstances were, and so fortunate we were able to you know, evacuate safely, uh, check every room. Uh, clearly the suspect got out of the location. Right. I mean, it, it, there's no, there would have been, not have been a way for you to know if that person had gone back out. I mean, maybe walked in and turned around and walked right back out. It, it, it wouldn't have, that wouldn't have registered with anybody. Exactly. So I'd rather err on the side of safety. And while it was a disruption, uh, really it was a great training exercise too. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to evaluate our practices, certainly the communications failure between security and law enforcement. That didn't happen very well. Uh, in fact— So you mean once it happened, once it was clear somebody had gotten into the building with a gun, the communications between the security staff and the officers who were down there wasn't, wasn't sufficient happen. in your— Just didn't happen, at least for 30 to 45 minutes, at least on the Detroit side. I can't speak— to whether or not the security county. alerted the sheriff. Yeah. But the bottom line was we have Detroit police officers in uniform on that first floor, uh, and they learned it was a call. They said, is there anything going on? We had council people still coming in on the other side of the building, business as usual. So there was a, a, a total absence which is, I mean, which, which is the opportunity for something if somebody had come in with a gun, with plans to do something that, that they weren't supposed to be doing, Absolutely. that's the opportunity to take advantage of that is that gap in, in communication. Yeah, but well, we're meeting now as we speak, and um, we're going to shore up, you know, yeah. uh, the communication issue because that's the, the big failure. And then just being at attentive, I mean, if you're going to operate the machine, pay attention to what's going through. Right. I mean, right. how does uh, a bag containing a pistol get through and then – uh, the person bringing it on, take the bag and then leave. Right, right. And nobody asks any questions. No questions asked. And then later you realize how much later is just beyond me. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about what is going on in the city right now. Uh, we, we've had this spring and a little bit into the early summer uh, a, a rash of I guess high-profile uh, murders involving children, yes. um, and and uh, most people I think who are listening to the show understand the the news of that and what what's happened. I want to talk to you about the culture of it, though, because I think you have been really focused on this as a cultural issue, as a cultural problem. And I want to talk to you about this street code uh, thing that you have brought up that uh, that there is or there should be a code even among uh, folks who are up to, to no good in the street about things you just don't do. And I think that's something we don't talk about enough in, in Detroit, the way the culture in the city has changed. Uh, it's very difficult to talk about it in some ways because uh, you pretty quickly get to blame, uh, I think, and, and people don't want to People don't want to do that. People don't want to feel like it's somebody's fault or, or the other person's fault, and then the, the conversation just devolves. But I think you have been really pushing us to try to get at what is different. It, it didn't used to be true that you would ever target a child uh, in, in Detroit, and no matter what you were doing, whether you're a drug dealer, a uh, burglar, whatever. 
we are starting to see that. And, and I get from you that that change, uh, that it bothers you, but that you also feel like uh, you can push, you can push uh, people to, to sort of deal with that. Yeah, it is really a community issue. It's not just police. We're only one small part. Certainly, I never, never make excuses. Um, you know, I don't buy into street codes because it's almost like, well, don't shoot children, but everybody else but is everybody else, okay, sure. <laughs> so I don't buy into it. Uh, I just know that the code among criminals and, you know, having spent, you know, a significant amount of time in Los Angeles with organized street gangs, uh, their code, not mine, not the police departments, was that you just didn't shoot children and you didn't uh, attack the elderly. Uh, kind of a code among criminals. Right. Uh, here it seems as if uh, those who are engaged in violent activity don't care. You know, you've heard me talk about, and I saw this as I was transitioning into Detroit, transitioning in and seeing this desensitized approach to crime. Well, we're the murder city. We have violence. It's always been here. So what's the deal? And then I come here and, you know, we talk about carjackings, which I'm happy to report. Third year going, we're down in double digits. Mm -hmm. We do some carjackings in Detroit because it is not the norm for someone in the middle of the day to be stopped at a street light and forced out of their vehicle at gunpoint. That just does, that's not an acceptable. Yeah. And so you, you, you and, get, and you don't see that in other cities. You just don't. I mean, does carjackings happen in others? Yes, but to the degree, and it's almost like it's not even news. It is news when someone is approached while stopped at a traffic light. And so the good news is that uh, we're sitting on a, a double-digit reduction this year, year-to-date in, in carjackings uh -huh. and robberies. Uh -huh in the city of Detroit. So overall crime is trending down. It's these individual incidents, you know, especially when you talk about uh, crime against children. Yeah, it gets people's attention. It gets their it attention. Should. And, you know, when you have a suspect who has no regard for human life, particularly that of a child, it makes you wonder. And, and it's just not a police issue. It's got to be and will be a community issue. Right. <clears throat> and uh, we've talked before about this, and you don't think it's a poverty issue. I mean, it's not, well, it's not that poverty leads people to this kind of behavior. There is something else that, uh, that, that gets added to the mix. I mean, this is a desperately poor city, and there are lots of reasons for that. There are lots of historical foundations for it. We talk about that a lot on the show and how to address that. But that's not, you don't feel like that's the driver necessarily for not necessarily. this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, do I believe there's a correlation between crime and poverty? Of course. Name any major city and look at those neighborhoods that are struggling and within cities and you will also find high crime. Sure. Look at what's happening in the south and west sides of Chicago. Uh, I don't live in Chicago, but I would imagine that those are probably the poor areas sure. of the city. Sure. You don't see drive-by shootings occurring down Miracle Mile. Right. And so we can't rule it out. You know, something a detective said to me last week, uh, and this was on the heels of a, of a couple of the children being shot, and what the detective said was so simple but profound is that many 
of these young men engaged in violence, they don't know what love is. They've never been told, I love you. And so they don't understand that kind of relationship. And so they're numb. And I'm not saying that's an excuse. No, no. Uh, I'm not saying we need to go up to everybody and, uh, and give them a hug. Give them a hug and flower and <laughs> right. say, I love you. Yeah. But love does change things. Right. Um, but uh, so we're working on a few things, uh, uh, some youth initiatives that really changes the mindset, behaviors. And gets people involved uh, earlier, right? I exactly. Mean, you got to. You, you just can't wait. I mean, like we have a city camp children and trauma intervention camp where we're focusing in on middle school age children because we know that these children, some of them are traumatized with the level of violence they've seen in their homes, in their neighborhoods. And so if left unchecked, we are creating violent criminals later. Because if you look at any uh, institution, uh, the Wayne County Jail, for example, uh, they're becoming more and more mental institutions. The right. vast majority of the inmates are suffering from mental illness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is James Craig, chief of the Detroit Police Department. We are talking about uh, policing in the community. We are talking about uh, what's going on in Detroit. Uh, we're talking about the, the, the breach yesterday at KMAC, uh, the, the, as I call it, the city-county building downtown where the mayor and city council and uh, lots of courtrooms uh, are. Uh, if you want to give a call and uh, have a question for the chief, Give me a call at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, Karen in Detroit, welcome to Detroit Today. You there, Karen? Oh, hi. Yes, yep. this is Karen. Um, Stephen, thank you for taking my call. Sure. And Police Chief Craig, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you. Oh, thank you. Nice talking to you, too. Um, thank you. I have a question that may seem relatively small, but it deals with the prioritization of calls and response of the police officers in the community. Um, I enjoy going to Belduck Park, um, and I'm thrilled with some of the um, upgrades that have been made to that park recently. Um, but there have been re- um, calls to the police officers um, repeatedly about um, uh, dangerous dogs that are loose or a dangerous dog that's loose so thrilled that the police can respond when there is such a dangerous dog, but in in this one case, there have been reported calls, uh, repeated calls, um, about a dog that's known not to be um, dangerous. Yeah, the dog is off-leash. Um, it's not my dog, but it's a dog that's off-leash. It's a trained therapy dog for, for hospital visitations, and so it's always under its master's control. Granted, it's off-leash, okay, but the police officers make calls, uh, responses many times to these reports of dangerous dogs. Um, at times, three police cars have responded to the same call. Um, and it seems like it's um, a misuse of services when um, the officers are spread so thin as it is. Yeah. Uh, I would agree. Um, it is a misuse of services. And, you know, you know, uh, they don't have the always have the background that this off-leash dog um, is nonviolent. They get a call. Somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm afraid. We respond in, you know, and so we have animal control officers that no longer work for the police department 
who should be handling those calls. I, I want my police officers dealing with real emergencies and certainly not going to uh, a, a, a dog that's not even dangerous. Uh, you're right, gross waste. And so that's something that as we have completed this transition uh, from the police department, uh, they should be handling animal control services should be handling those calls and not the police. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Karen, thank you very much for that, uh, for that call. Um, uh, let's go there. Let's go to Colleen in Detroit. Colleen, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah. Hi. I live on the far east side on Corville. Uh-huh. And uh, we've always had a lot of problems on Corville. And, um, Recently, a neighbor of mine said that um, they didn't like me taking pictures, and I wasn't taking pictures of them. I was taking pictures of a dead cat in the garage, and he said that people don't like it and that these people don't mess around. And um, if I called the police and I told the police that this happened, would that be a priority? Oh, huh. that's an interesting question, Colleen. Thank you for uh, for calling, Chief. <laughs> Is that a priority? Uh, no, it's not a priority. Um, again, we just talked to the earlier caller. I, I want to certainly make sure our officers are handling priority calls for service, you know, like shots fired in progress, robbery in progress, a dead cat, and someone taking a fo- photograph. Um, it's beyond me what that would be. Certainly yeah. on low and I wouldn't even call it any kind of priority, but certainly a relationship with your neighborhood police officer, uh, the precinct, those uh, low-level neighborhood issues, certainly um, uh, neighborhood police officers can come in and, you know, have a conversation. But I I don't want our officers tied up on things that they can better use their time on in terms of addressing and mitigating violence. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you about uh, the fireworks coming up soon here in Detroit. Often uh, there's there's a discussion beforehand about how to handle, you know, the number of people, uh, the number of young people who often have to come down uh, and don't have a parent or another sort of adult uh, uh, to, to, to chaperone them. How, how is that? Uh, how's that discussion going this year? Oh, it's going great. Uh, no issues. Uh, as you know, we had a successful last year and the year before that. Uh, we certainly are going to use our volunteers like we did last year to assist us. The idea is we certainly don't want to arrest children. And if they're accompanied by a person 18 years or older, that uh, will suffice. Yeah. Not necessarily uh, someone who's a parent or guardian. Um, so we think and believe this will be another successful year and no issues yeah there were not many issues last year right? there's no issues there's no issues last year. uh we had i want to say close to 140 150 volunteers that came out not just for the fireworks but throughout the entire river days yeah and so it was a, a good family event yeah. and uh, we believe it's going to be another one yeah uh let's take another couple calls here peter in detroit welcome to detroit today Thank you, Stephen. Yep. And, uh, uh, Captain, I just want to say thank you very much for what Chief, you're doing. Chief, Captain, whatever. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Go ahead, Peter. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in, uh, oh, Chief, right, yeah. That's okay. I mean, uh, I understand. You can call me police officer. He also. was a captain at some I point, I was a captain, sure. yeah, I Right. Personally. I was thinking captain because I wanted to tell you what a great job Captain Belisky does uh, in the 12th Precinct. Well, you know, he's no board. longer there. Uh, he's, oh, he's, what, what, what you, you took him from us? I sure did, but we got, uh, you know, we did some restructuring. Uh, and um, in fact, we have a commander 
and a captain in the precincts now. Um, and this is the east side, right? No, 12th is 12th, on the west side. West side. Right. Uh, Cap, uh, Commander Thomas is the commanding officer. Um, and so uh, Captain Belinsky uh, certainly uh, did a lot of good in our community. And so uh, he's moved on uh, to a different type of job, uh, very important job, uh, managing our task force operations. Okay. So, right. um, uh, but, uh, yeah, we have a captain and a commander now in each precinct. Again, that's well, been a big deal for me in terms yeah. of uh, reinforcing, one, the, the necessity to have precincts in neighborhoods. Right. Uh, very important. Or you've gone back to the model that Going we had back before because right. it works. Right. Well, you know, let the, me tell you why I called. Okay. Uh, uh, I called because when I heard about the security breach yesterday, I was not surprised at all, and I'll tell you why I wasn't. Okay. Last year, I had some business at the city county building and uh, came in uh, with my briefcase and a briefcase that incidentally I had carried on a plane the week previously. I had a shoehorn in my in my bag because you have to take your shoes off when you get on a plane. And I use the shoehorn to put my shoes back on. <laughs> right. Well, I put my, my my bag on the on the belt. The the uh, security officer who's there insisted I take the shoehorn. What is that? You've got you can't bring this in here. Made a big deal about my shoehorn. You have, what am I? Can I leave it here? No, you can't leave it here. You have to throw it away. <laughs> I throw the shoehorn away. And all that, I gather up my bag. I left my cell phone with my hands-free device attached to it in that little box right at the end of the belt. Now, when I got back and and saw it there, I thought to myself, you know, he made such a big deal about protecting the city-county building from a shoehorn that he overlooked a detonator and a wire harness sitting right there at the end of the belt. Now, if is that, that what you were doing with that, Peter? <laughs> that's well, no, but I mean, that's, you know, you know, that's what they're do, what you can do with a cell phone. Right. And right. when I saw, I thought, yeah, but I didn't get in there with a shoehorn. That's not who you want protecting the city county building. Yeah. You might want to tell the city council they need to rethink having. Whatever, well, whoever that contractor is, and maybe bring actual police who are actually on the ball. Well, that's a building. that's an interesting. That is a really interesting point, uh, Peter Chief Craig. Do you think we need sworn officers? You know, the, oh, the, we do. They don't they don't the, monitor closely on the checkpoint. Again, uh, I think it's a great use of sworn officers mixed with security. We just need to make sure that the security that the city. Uh, contracts with it are doing their job. Yeah. Um, as was pointed out, uh, pay attention because uh, clearly yesterday um, the guards staffing that position. They weren't paying attention. Paying I mean, there's attention. no question. And you look no, at that no image. Excuse for it. The gun is is very clear in the image. If they had been looking at the screen, they'd have seen it. No excuse for it. Yeah. And so um, we're meeting right now. Uh, we're gonna uh, we're debriefing it. Uh, there's going to be some changes, but there are sworn uniform officers uh, visible on the first floor. That's important. Yeah. Um, but I'd rather, I like the idea of having, you know, non-sworn or civilian security guards, you know, a good mix. I mean, yeah. that works. Right. It's just like at um, the airport. Yeah. Those are not law enforcement, TSA. Uh, right. They, they you know, are. But you have law enforcement present. Uh, beyond the checkpoints and in some instances before, 
that are roving uh, the airport terminals. Yeah. That makes good sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, quickly, uh, I want to ask you about uh, how you um, how you feel about uh, being promoted to number two in the, <laughs> uh, in the government structure here in Michigan, that uh, when the mayor is uh, out of town or, or unable to do his duties, that, that uh, you will be the person in charge, that's unusual. Uh, we haven't had that uh, before, That, to my knowledge, here in Detroit. Right. What, uh, do you feel like that that is a potential, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say conflict, but uh, difficulty to be able to, to, to manage the police department and the rest of the city all at the same time? No, uh, I, I don't. In fact, um, let me first start by saying, you know, I'm humbled, you know, and honored that the mayor would, you know, has confidence that, you know, when he's out and when he's away that um, can handle the business of the city. Uh, and, and let's face it, um, the mayor was thinking uh, that anything major that happens in this city, generally public safety is involved in it. Uh, a crisis happens, like the crisis of yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's generally a police function. Sure. And so that's what I do, and this is not going to detract from my my real job, which is that of a police chief, uh, I'm going to continue to place 100% focus on that. And when called to handle city business because the mayor is out, uh, we can do that too. A okay. uh, very competent team in city government uh, that know their jobs very well, and so it's not going to change anything. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's take uh, one more call, call here. Tom, Northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning to both of you. You know, in terms of police community relations, I was I was just elected a vice president over at number two in terms of police community relations organization. But I would advise people to, you know, come to these meetings. Each police precinct has a community relations organization, which is ran by we, the people, all right? And the police are invited, you know, as an adjunct to it, and they give reports. But, you know, when they, when they come there, there's a lot of information there. And also, you actually get the chance to, the rock opera Tommy says, see me, feel me, touch me. You get a chance to see Detroit's finest. Yeah. And if there's question or concern, you know, you can either after the meeting's over or during the meeting, you can pull the NPO aside and let them know what your concern is. Great. That's but, great. You know, um, and, and, Chief, let me say this. I've said it a thousand times, and I'm going to say it another thousand times. I admire the job that you and Detroit's finest do. Thank because you. Because you know what? Thank you. There's not enough money that they could pay me to you know, do the job that you all do, because you know what? It makes it a whole lot easier for me to go out here and do my business. And I would like to see, and it's a moot point, but I'm going to say it anyway. I would like to see more cruisers drive through the neighborhood. As a matter of fact, I'd even like to see some of them on foot. But, you know, like I said, I know you're stretched in terms of, you know, manpower, but I'd like to see more going through the neighborhood because not a whole lot happens on your major thoroughfares, though it does sometimes, but most of it happens in the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a great question, Chief. I mean, we, we still have this discussion going on in the city about yeah. manpower and how many officers you have. I know you, I know you need to run, but uh, can you uh, let me just uh, very quickly. Uh, one of the reasons why we uh, developed this whole neighborhood police officer, because, you know, we are lean. I mean, we talk about green light initiatives, virtual patrol, uh you know, those things matter and certainly allows us to 
engage in policing activities in a more efficient and effective way. With the neighborhood police officer, while we're not walking footbeats in a traditional sense, you know, each neighborhood basically has its own police officer that can facilitate, work closely with the neighborhood. And as the caller indicated, you know, uh, get to know your neighborhood police officer, build that relationship, work on problems together, because that's their primary function. Sure. And really it replaces, because when I came on in 1977, I did, I walked a footbeat, and certainly it gives the community, both business and residents, a, a great deal of comfort knowing you have police officers out on the beat getting to know the community. Uh, but certainly I tell you, the, the neighborhood police officers are doing a phenomenal job and building bridges and continuing to do so. Uh, we are hiring, uh, and um, we have a couple of classes in right now, and we're going to continue to hire until we get up to our authorized complement. Yeah. So we're, we're good. But, uh, Steve, um, hate to run. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the go. time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I don't want to keep you in longer than you have to be here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Police Chief James Craig. Thank you so much. City of Detroit. Thank you for being here on Detroit Today. We will, as always, have you back. Uh, all right. Up next, we'll look at income inequality in Michigan cities. A new study says Grand Rapids, not Detroit, has the widest gap between the haves and the have-nots. Stay with us on Detroit Today.